Chapters twenty three and twenty four of Love's Bitterest Cup by E. D. E. N. Southworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Chapter twenty three. Lee's plan. When all the greetings were over, the family were allowed to go upstairs, still in custody of the dog, who kept his eye on them, and take off their travelling suits. Mrs. Anglesea walked ahead to see that everyone was comfortable. Every bedroom was perfectly ready for its occupant well lighted by candles in silver candlesticks on the mantelpiece and on the dressing bureau, and well warmed by a bright little wood fire in the open fireplace, which this chilly April evening rendered very pleasant. One thing I do grieve to part with, even in the lovely spring, and that is our beautiful open wood fires, said Elva, as she sat down on the rug, with Joshua lying beside her, before the fire in the bedroom occupied by Wynnette and herself. "'So do I. I am always glad when a real cool evening comes to give us an excuse to kindle one,' Wynnette assented. But the tea-bell rang, and they had to leave the bright attraction, and closely attended by Joshua, who resolved to keep them in view, go down to the dining-room, where all the family were assembled. This apartment was also brightly lighted by a chandelier, which hung from the ceiling over the well-spread table, and warmed by a clear little wood-fire in the open chimney. "'Strawberries and wood-fires!' "'The charms of summer and winter meeting in spring,' exclaimed Wynnette, glancing from the open chimney to the piled-up glass bowl of luscious fruit that stood as the crowning glory of the table. "'Raised under glass, honey, and a time I had to keep the little niggers from stealing them. Children may be little angels, but I never seed one yet as wouldn't steal fruit when it could get a chance. I think they instinctively believe that all the fruit that grows belongs to them, or at least as much of it as they want.' "'And maybe they are right,' said Mr. Force. "'That's pretty morality to teach the young'uns. "'You ought to be ashamed of yourself, old man. "'That's not my way, nohow. "'I spanked every one of them little niggers "'with a fine new shingle until they roared again, "'every time I caught em at the strawberries. "'And providentially, there were plenty of new shingles handy, "'left by the carpenters, who put the new roof on the back porch,' "'said the lady from the mines. "'But no one replied.' and as Mrs. Force had taken her seat at the head of the table, all the party gathered around, while the dog stretched himself on the rug before the fire and watched his family. They wouldn't get away for parts unknown and stay three years, not if he knew it. It was late when they sat down to tea, but as they were all very hungry, and this was their first meal at home after years of absence, they lingered long around the table. And when at last they arose and went into the drawing-room, still dogged by Joshua, it was only for a short chat around the fire, and then a separation for the night. "'Jake, put that dog out,' said Mrs. Anglesea, who could not all at once forget to give orders in the house she had ruled for three years, even now when the mistress was present. Jake advanced toward the brute, but Joshua laid himself down at Wynnette's feet, and showed all his fangs in deadly fashion. "'Deed, missus, it's as much as my life's wharf to touch dat dorg now,' pleaded Jake." "'Let Joshua alone,' said Wynnette. "'He shall sleep on the rug in my room. "'Shan't you, good dog?' "'Joshua growled a reply that was perfectly well understood by Wynnette, "'to mean that he certainly should do that very thing, "'in spite of all the wild-cat women in creation. "'And so, when all went upstairs, "'the dog trotted up soberly after his little mistress, "'and when the latter reached the room, "'he laid himself down contentedly on the rug "'and watched until he saw them abed and asleep. "'Then he resigned himself to rest.' "'Oh, the rapture of being at home again,' breathed little Elva, standing on the rose-wreathed front piazza, 
and looking forth upon the splendid April morning when the sky was blue and the bay was blue and the forest trees of tenderest green and the orchard trees with apple blossoms, peach blossoms, all like one vast parterre of blossoming flowers, and the tulips, hyacinths, jonquils, daffodils, pansies, japonicas, and all the wealth and splendor of spring bloom on the flower-beds on the lawn were radiant with color and redolent of perfume. "'Oh, the rapture of being at home,' said little Elva, softly to herself, as she gazed on the scene." "'Hail, blessed scenes of my childhood,' sentimentally murmured a voice behind her. Elva turned quickly, and saw, as she expected to see, the mocking face of Wynnette. "'Oh, Wynnette, how can you make such fun of me?' inquired Elva, in an aggrieved tone. "'To prevent other things making a fool of you. Come in now to breakfast. They are all down, and I came out to look for you.' The girls went in together, and took their places at the table." When the breakfast was over, Lee asked his uncle for the loan of a horse to ride over to Greenbushes. "'I want to take a look at the little place, which I have not seen for three years and more,' he explained. "'Why, certainly, Lee, take any horse you like, and never think it necessary to ask me. Are you not as a son to me?' said Abelforce. "'I did hope to be your son, sir, in every possible sense of the word. But that hope seems dead now,' sighed the young man. "'Not at all, Lee.' We have only to prove a fraud in the alteration of the date of Lady Mary Anglesia's death to set aside every imaginary barrier between you and Odalite. But, sir, he denies that there ever was any marriage between himself and this Californian lady. He declares that it is all a conspiracy between the woman and the priest, that the marriage certificate is a forgery and the telegram a fraud, and he defied us to go or send to St. Sebastian to test the matter. Now, if this Californian lady is not Anglesia's wife—Lee paused. He could not bring himself to conclude the sentence. If the Californian is not his wife, Odalite is, no matter at which date the first wife died, said Mr. Force, finishing the unspoken argument. Yes, that is what I meant to say, only I could not. My dear Lee, have you the least doubt as to the reality of that St. Sebastian marriage, whatever may be said of its legality? No, none in the world— Still, I want further proof of it. I want to go to St. Sebastian and search the parish register as he challenged us to do. Bah! He only did that out of bravado, to annoy us and to gain time. He no more believed that we would either go or send to St. Sebastian than he believed that he would ever be permitted to touch the tip of Odalite's finger as long as he should live in this world. He acted from a low spite, without the slightest hope of any other success." Notwithstanding that, Uncle Abel, upon reflection, I shall go to California and search that parish register, and bring back with me absolute unquestionable proof of that marriage to take with us to England. Then, when we can prove that Lady Mary Anglesia's death occurred before Colonel Anglesia's second marriage, we shall know Odalite to be free to become my wife. Don't you see? Yes, Lee, but when do you propose to go to California on this quest? You know we sail for England in six weeks from this. I shall start to-morrow, and lose no time. Travel express, do my work as quickly as it can be done thoroughly. For to do it most thoroughly must be my first care. Then I shall travel express coming home, and so be back again as soon as possible. Well, my boy, go, said Mr. Force. I approve your earnestness, and may heaven speed you. Chapter 24 What Followed the Return Now, old woman, I want you to go all over the house long of me, to see for yourself how I've done my duty, said the lady from Wildcats, 
as she followed Mrs. Force from the breakfast-room on the day after the return of the family to Mondreer. "'Indeed, Mrs. Anglesea, I have no doubt you have done perfectly well,' replied the mistress of the house, deprecatingly. "'Yes, but I want you to see that I have. Now come into the storeroom,' said the housekeeper, resolutely leading the way, while Mrs. Force obediently followed. "'Now look at them there rows of pickles and preserves, and jams and jellies on them there shelves, all made by my own hands. Them on the top shelf is three years old, and all the better for their age. Them on the middle shelf was made last year, and is very good. Them on the bottom shelf is the newest, and wants a little more age on em. "'I'm afraid you worked too hard in making up these things, and also denied yourself the use of them, since the shelves are so full.' "'Who, me? Not much. I own I did work hard. I like work. But as to denying myself anything good to eat, just you catch yours to command at it, if you can. And if you do, just let me know, so I can consult a mad doctor, to find out what's the matter with my thinking machine. No, ma'am, I don't deny myself nothing good to eat. You bet your pile on that. Fasting never was a means of grace to me. I had plenty of pickles and preserves at all the three meals of the day. And so had the two niggers.' "'Lord, why, next to eating myself, I love dearly to see other people eat.' "'I am very glad you enjoyed yourself,' said Mrs. Force. "'You bet. And now look into this closet and see the dried herbs and roots and berries I have got here. See now.' "'A great store, indeed.' "'All gathered by my own hands, and with the dew on em, before the sun was up, and shaken and dried in the shade by me. And now look here at this shelf full of boxes of honey. I tended to it all myself.' I hived eleven swarms of bees since you have been gone, and I did want to complete the dozen so much. But, Lord, it is always so. Just because I wanted to, they got away while I was at church one Sunday morning. You can't beat any religion into bees. They didn't mind breaking the Sabbath no more than a wild Indian. But I'll more than make up that dozen next season, you bet. You have done admirably well to have saved so many. Think so? "'Well, now, come out into the meat-house, and see the barrels of salt pork and beef, "'all corned by my own hands, and the sugared-cured hams and the smoked tongues. "'Oh, I tell you!' "'Mrs. Force followed her manager out of a back door, into a paved yard and across it, "'to a small detached building of stone, set apart for the purpose to which the able housekeeper had put it. "'We cannot follow the two women through all the round of inspection, "'into the smoke-houses, meat-houses, poultry-yards, etc.' but we'll only add that the lady was gratified by all she saw, and was liberal in commendation of her deputy. Now come into the house, and we'll go upstairs into the linen-room, and then up into the garret to look at the carpet and woolen curtains, and blankets and things, laid up in lavender for the summer. And if you find a hole unmended in anything whatsoever, or a patch put on crooked, just you let me know it, will you, and I'll go right straight off and consult that same mad doctor I mentioned before, to see if anything's the matter with my headpiece." When the inspection of the house was entirely over, Mrs. Force was very earnest in her expressions of satisfaction and gratitude to the faithful and capable manager. "'You are a much better housekeeper than I ever was, Mrs. Anglesea,' she said, as they came downstairs together. "'Why wouldn't I be? Gifts is divers. You've got a gift of working in silks and worsteds, and beads and things, and playing on the pianoforte, and speaking in all the lingos of the Tower of Babel.' but you can't keep house worth a cent. And the Lord knows what would have become of you all if it had not been for ole Aunt Lucy. Now she's a fairish sort of manager, though she can't come up to me. No, ma'am. I never graduated from no college. 
I can't play on nothing but the Jew's harp, and I can't speak any language but what I learned at my old mother's knee. But, Lord, as for good housekeeping and downright useful hard-working, I can whip the coat off in the back of any man or any woman going. I think that few can excel you, said Mrs. Force, as they entered the little parlor. You bet, said the lady from the diggings, as she dropped heavily into an armchair and panted. And I didn't learn to keep house at Wildcats neither. Lord, no, there wasn't much chance to keep house in a log cabin with a dirt floor, and not even a loft or a lean-to. It was from my good old mother I learned all I know. And little use it was to me at Wildcats. And, oh, when I think of the gold diggings, and my poor old man leaving of a comfortable home to go and live in a poor shanty, and dig in the bowels of the earth for nigh eleven years to make his pile, and then to die and leave it all behind for that great villain to rob me of. But there, Lord, what's the use of thinking of it when I've got as fine a goose in the roaster before the kitchen fire as ever swam upon a pond, as rich a green gooseberry pie in the oven as ever was baked. And so, old oman, I'll leave yer now, cause I can't trust old Luce. She ain't the oman she used to be by a long shot. She's sort of getting blind, I think, concluded the housekeeper, as she arose and left the room. Mrs. Force sat back in her chair to rest after her tour of the house and yard. While thus resting, she heard the sound of carriage wheels, and then a gay bustle before the front door, the voices of Wynnette and Elva mingled with the voices of a lady and gentleman, the laughing of a child, the crowing of a baby, and the barking of a dog. Presently the hall door opened, and all this merry confusion of sounds rolled into the hall and into the drawing-room. And before Mrs. Force could arise from her chair to go and see what could be the matter, her door was suddenly thrown open, and Wynnette, all aglow with excitement, burst into the room, exclaiming, "'Oh, Mamma, it is Natalie! Dear Natalie! And—and and two babies!' Dr. Ingle brought them in his gig, and he is only waiting to speak to you, to leave them here while he goes his round among his patients, and then he will call and take them home. But, oh, Mamma, I want you to make him promise to come back and stay to dinner and spend the evening, will you? Oh, Mamma, Natty is looking so lovely, and her babies are just heavenly. My dear impetuous Wynnette, stop and take breath. Of course Natalie and her children must spend the day, and the doctor must return to dinner. "'Come, I will go to them,' said Mrs. Force, as she arose and went into the drawing-room, followed by the delighted Wynnette. End of chapter 24